Eye on 2020, episode 16. Have 2020 vision with Eye on 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. Thank you for joining me on Ion 2020 today. Uh, I certainly am appreciative of all my, all those people that are listening to my podcast on a daily basis, all those who are subscribing to my podcast. And if you are listening for the first time today, please feel free to subscribe to Ion 2020. You just have to look me up in the, your podcatcher, whether it's Stitcher, whether it's Google Play, whether it's uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, you'll find us there. And uh, please feel free to share my podcast, subscribe to it, and uh, send me some feedback if you'd like. I'd really appreciate that as well on episode 16 now, and I appreciate uh, those who are sticking with me. I Hopefully uh, the podcast will get better every single day. I've been putting out one a day for about the last three weeks now, and I certainly do uh, look forward to bringing you more about the news and the events that are happening for the 2020 election as they proceed for the next couple months couple of years things are uh things are you know a little bit slow right now with the election there's people that are announcing their candidacy and so forth which is great but one of the things that i wanted to bring you guys because i think it's really important is to bring a little bit of uh light from a libertarian perspective to some of these candidates and uh what they what they believe in i think it's important that we look into these candidates uh what they're what they're running on and Lately, what you've found is a lot of these Democrats are starting to run on certain specific platforms. A um, couple of them have said that they're going to be running you know, from an anti-war perspective, which is great. I appreciate that. Uh, that's definitely something that I could support. But then there's other ones that I've heard, and this seems like it's becoming a very popular idea within the Democratic Party. And we knew this was going to happen because whenever they passed Obamacare, that's what they were saying was going to happen, was they were going to be putting together a... You know, they were they were putting together Obamacare, and it was one step closer to, we all know the word, single-payer health care, right? So we were, you know, when they put together Obamacare, I think there was people that predicted this, and we all knew it would happen anyway, that Obamacare would fail. And now that it has failed, now that there's so many problems with it, um, all you saw from about 2010 on was rising insurance costs, less ability for people to get insurance at an affordable rate and um, less options for people, even though Obama promised constantly that there would be plenty of options that if you, uh, what was the quote that he said, if you want to keep your doctor, you can. If you want to keep your plan, you can. Well, it turned out that that was completely false and everyone got stuck onto certain plans at that time. Things have just, uh, you know, gone downhill since then. I know from my perspective, I used to have some pretty good health care and health coverage, and so did my wife, and uh, we're, we've been on the same plan for a long time. 
and you know those deductibles just keep going up every single year those um the prices of it keep going up every year it's just the way it is and just imagine somebody that does not have an employer-based system right now where they're getting their insurance from an employee or from their employer imagine someone that just has to pay on the open market and we I won't say free market because it's definitely not a free market in healthcare. If there was a free market in healthcare, you would have so many more options. You'd have the ability to just say, hey, I think I'll, own, I'll get myself a super high deductible plan of $10,000 where I'll pay for everything up to $10,000 or you'd have everything in between, right? You'd have the catastrophic insurance right down to the, I want the doctor to, I want the insurance to pay for everything that anything that would happen to me, even if I have to go in for just a basic checkup. I don't want to have to pay anything out of pocket. I just want to have a fixed cost every single month. And uh, you'd have everything in between. You'd have these super golden platinum plans, and you'd have these stripped-down plans. But you'd have, in a free market, companies will find a need, and they'll fill those needs. But when you have the government involved, like that is now, you're going to have certain situations where they're going to set specific rules and policies that they have to, that you have to follow and then you have no other choices in the matter that's just the way that government works right so they set a specific law and then all the insurance companies in order to offer their product they have to follow those laws and that's what obamacare did it it kind of standardized all of the care made it so they had to cover certain things no matter what and it it's just slowly has fallen apart especially when you have a a mandatory like when they when the specific thing that they always talk about is that you know people that have a pre-existing condition they always talk about that issue and that um, they made it illegal for insurance companies to you know discriminate against somebody based upon a pre-existing condition and you know we all feel sorry for that person that has maybe kidney issues or different issues with their body uh, they had cancer six months ago and now they're now they can't get insurance. We we have sympathy for those people. And there's other there are options out there for those people. I mean, now they can just go get insurance for it. But I mean, if you went the example that we always use is insurance is for things that are unseen things that you plan for or that you would not plan for, but that you can evaluate the risk and then pay accordingly. And then what you're doing is you're gonna spend, let's say, a hundred dollars a month. And that's going to be what you're going to pay. And then that company is taking on the risk that says that you're not going to have a problem. And if they, and then if you do have a problem, if you did get into an accident, an example of car insurance, then they would pay for that, you know, for, for the damages with a certain deductible. That's the way car insurance works. But you don't get into an accident and then call State Farm and say, hey, I just got into an accident. Now I need insurance. That's not the way that that's not the way insurance works. Same thing with um, with life insurance. You don't you don't um, have your wife call the life insurance place. You know, the, you don't have your wife call State Farm or Allstate and say, "Hey, my husband just died. I need a million dollar policy." That's not the way it works. So, in the sense of health insurance, very similar. You would have to plan accordingly. In in any type of world, and even for for them to even call that insurance, that's just the way it is. You you know you have to um, if it's called insurance, then you're insuring something that is unexpected, right? So when they when they put the mandate in there that you have to have um, that they have to cover pre-existing conditions, then the next step was well how are how are insurance companies going to afford that 
when somebody that has cancer can just go and get insurance or has kidney issues, now they can go and get insurance um, just immediately with a pre-existing condition. So then they said, well, in order to make up for that, we're going to do something which would be the individual mandate where everybody in America has to have insurance. You have to have you have to be covered, or you're going to be penalized. And that penal that penalty would be paid towards their insurance companies in order to make sure that they're going to get um, compensated for the losses that they would take. So anyway, all that. Long story short, we went through that whole process, and rising premiums continued. It's just it just happened. I remember from 2009 to 2015, it just seemed like every single year the premiums are going up by 20 and 30 bucks a week. And uh, I've heard of people getting 100% rate increases, 60% rate increases, and so forth. And it kind of depended upon the state that you're in. So those are the challenges that, that arose with Obamacare. Whenever you get the federal government involved in something, they promise a lot and they deliver little. That's just the, that's just the nature of government, right? Because bureaucrats don't have incentive, the, the right incentives there to make sure that things are done correctly. In a business sense, when, or when there's a business, they have the incentive because there's a profit motive and that allows for you to have the incentive to make sure that you do things right. And that's just not the way that government works. So we, have, we had the Obamacare thing that, that went through. And by 2016, uh, they had basically made it law, right? Where even the Supreme Court said, Yes, it is constitutional because Congress passed a tax, and that tax kind of ended the debate, right, that Obamacare was okay because it was a tax on the American people. So a lot of people ran against Obamacare, even Donald Trump ran against Obamacare at the time, and he was promising to end Obamacare. Well, even Congress, they continuously said that they would end Obamacare, that they voted on it. I think like a hundred times between 2010 and 2016, they voted on it at least a hundred times to, to make it go away, to get rid of it, to end Obamacare. That was the dream. You get a Republican president that comes on, and then they couldn't even get that passed. They wouldn't even, they, 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 they dragged their free feet and wouldn't pass a bill that said that Obamacare should be, uh, should be eliminated. I think it went to the Senate, and John McCain was the one that wouldn't end it. And that's just proof for you that once a government system gets established, once a bureaucracy is made, it never goes away. That is the nature of government as well. Government is designed to grow. Grow, grow, grow. So, now it's 2016, and then... At that time, I don't know if anybody remembers this as well, but Bernie Sanders and a lot of Democrats started to talk about single-payer health care. Single-payer. They started calling it Medicare for All. And that was the issue that came up. Lots of Democrats started thinking about those ideas. Bernie Sanders pretty much ran on that idea, along with free education, free college education, free preschool education, the whole nine yards. Let's just give it all away. Give away the farm, right? So that was an issue that Bernie Sanders ends up running on. And he was very popular, very popular among the Democrats. I mean, the I said it yesterday. The Democratic National Committee literally had to 
you know, weasel this guy out of his, the nomination. They, I mean, they, they shooed Hillary in and pushed him out. He could have taken a stand against that. He could have done a lot. And a lot of people were discouraged about the Democratic Party because of that, if I remember correctly. But he was running on a few platforms, and one of those things was single-payer Medicare for all. So now, since 2016, 2017 passed, uh, 2018, the elections were going on, and you had um, multiple Democratic candidates that were running for Congress that were running on a platform similar to Bernie's. Now, Bernie established a coalition of people during after his after his election, there was enough people that were following Bernie where, you know, those lists, those email lists, those people that supported Bernie, all those people were able to they, they were able to form a sort of coalition for new candidates to come up, just like Ron Paul's candidacy did in two thousand eight and two thousand twelve, where afterwards you saw a lot of Ron Paul type Republicans get elected into office. Well, now you're seeing a lot of Bernie Sanders-type Democrats getting elected into office at different levels. And what one of their platform pieces is Medicare for All. And now you're starting to see some of these candidates that are going to be pushing for Medicare for All on the 2020 ticket. I've heard three candidates so far say this. So far, I've heard Tulsi Gabbard say that she is going to be running with a Medicare for All platform, as well as uh, Kirsten Gillibrand and uh, Julian Castro. They've all, oh, and Elizabeth Warren. So we have four of them that I know for a fact have already decided that they're going to run with a platform for Medicare for All. And to me, that's a scary thing because if they get elected, that's something that they're going to be pushing. And if they end up like Obama did with a Democratic House and the Democratic Senate, that can be a huge challenge going forward for anybody that believes in freedom. Because when the government takes over, you know, a third of the economy, which is health care, then you're going to run into some major problems. I mean, this government can't even get it together enough to pass a budget. There's so much division within this government. I could not imagine the political posturing that'll be going on over health care and the holding people hostage over health care that'll be going on um, when the government owns all of the healthcare industry. That is going to be terrible for our, for our freedom. That's going to be terrible for our lives. It's going to be terrible for everything that has to do with, you know, with just the health of the American people. There needs to be less government intervention within the healthcare industry. But these people are going to be running on a Medicare for all single-payer platform. Now, I've heard that when you have a Medicare for all single-payer platform, the one thing that they're looking to do is take a progressive approach towards this. So we got Obamacare mandating that everybody has health care. They did that. Then when that fails, they're going to be looking for the... Medicare for all. That was the progressive step. And then the next step after that is going to be when Medicare for all starts being a challenge where Medicare for all is the mandatory single payer health care where everybody has to have it. The next step 
is going to be a takeover of the entire healthcare industry. I've already heard candidates say that. Even um, that Cortez lady that got elected in, as the congresswoman from New York, even she has said that in her platform. And there's a, there's actually, I've seen a, um, I can't remember the website, but there was a website that I read that talked about that was the end game for the, um, for the Medicare for All is as a stage that they're going to set in order to get a government takeover of the entire healthcare system. That's a guarantee, and that's something that they're trying to push. So 10 years after Obamacare gets passed, we're looking at them now. It's 10 years later, and they're looking to get Medicare for All. And the next step, if they happen to get it in 2020, the next step by 2030, or maybe a little bit beyond that, will be a government take over the entire healthcare industry because there's going to be a bad in- a incentive for doctors and medical establishments to overbill because they're getting underpaid by the system. So in order to in order to control that, the government's going to try to start putting on controls for what they can bill for. They're going to start ch- trying to take control little by little of what these hospitals, what these doctors can do. As the hospitals start merging together, you'll start seeing um, less less quality care, longer lines, and so forth. And then politicians will step in and say that all these lines are wrong. You know, we can't have all these lines. We can't have waiting lists and everything else. The government needs to step in and take over the healthcare system. And look at our government today. Look at it. We're in a position where the government can't even pass a budget. There's so many things wrong with the VA system, and there's so many challenges. They, they cannot run things the way that a private organization can, and it's only going to be a negative for, for us. So going forward, I just think that I wanted to get that out there that if we're going to be looking at candidates, I want to take a look at what they're running on. And I want to poke holes in those things and bring you that libertarian perspective of the things that are wrong with the th- what some of these people are running on because they're statist ideas. They're ideas that take the state and make the state the one um, that's responsible for those things. They, these, a lot of these candidates, they want the state to be in control of things. And when the state's in control of things, you know, like I said... They can't even pass a budget. They're willing to shut down the government. Everything becomes a political pawn. Every one of us becomes a political pawn. Every one of us becomes a pawn in their game for power. And we don't want those people holding that over our head. I would take a private doctor any day over the government providing me a doctor for free because at some point the government is going to withhold that doctor from me in order to make sure that I vote the way that they want me to. And that's wrong. So let's get into the nuts and bolts of a Medicare for All plan. And that's what we're going to talk about. I found an article on Mises.org, and it was written by Thou Bishop on 8-2-2018. And it's called, it says, The real cost of Medicare for All is in lives, not dollars. I love Mises.org. It's my, it's one of my favorite places to find good information. Um... 
a huge shout out to Mises Daughter Works, the Mises, the Mises Institute. Um, and I think Lou Rockwell is the person that got the Mises Daughter Works started and the Mises Institute started. And it's a, it's a huge benefit to us to have those articles up that they write on a regular basis. And also they have a huge amount of publications that are not only in print, but in audio. And you can find those as, at Mises.org as well. So in this particular article, Thou Bishop writes, A recent study by the Merc- Mercatus Center has placed renewed focus on the fiscal costs of Medicare for All. The study finds that the proposal, increasingly popular with the Democratic Party, would add approximately $32.6 trillion to the federal budget commitments during the first 10 years of its implementation. The authors of the study also specify that this is a conservative estimate, assuming that the legislation achieved. Let me stop there. That is a conservative estimate of $32.6 trillion to the federal budget. I think the federal budget is around $4 trillion now. So you're looking at practically doubling the size of our federal budget in order to have, Demic- or to have Medicare for all. Um, my challenge with that is whenever they talk about it, the Democrats, they'll always say, well, we already spend three or three or four trillion dollars or two trillion dollars or whatever it is on on medicine as it is. That's the entire American people, right? So it's not we as in the government, but we as a people. So they'll always say something like that. So what are they going to do? They're just going to tax us as much as we already pay for for medicine. I don't know. I don't know what their game what their game plan is by saying that, but I think it's a way to trick people trick people into agreeing with it by saying something like, "Oh yeah, we already spend this amount on medicine as it is." So, and I just and then they say that there's going to be cost savings and so forth, and I never trust a politician when they say anything about cost savings. So, they're looking at 32.6 trillion dollars or 3.2 trillion dollars per year to the to the budget. And that is a conservative estimate, it says. Assuming the legislation achieves its sponsored goals of dramatically reducing payments to health providers in addition to substantially reducing drug prices and administrative costs. So in order for it to be $32.6 trillion over 10 years, the legislation has to dramatically reduce payments to health providers. So providers of health care right now are going to be losing or having reduced payments to them and additionally in addition to substantially reducing drug prices and administrative costs so if the drug prices are controlled we know what price controls do it causes less people to be willing to produce those products right and then you have less money going to the healthcare providers so they're going to be willing to provide less health care that's just the nature of the beast and that's why i say they're in a progressive step to get Medicare for all so it'll fail and then they could take over the healthcare system. That's the end goal. Through this study, let's get back to the article. Though this study suggests that federal tax dollars would have to more than double in order to afford this new entitlement, advocates like Bernie Sanders are claiming this study vindicates their position. Why? As Matt Brunig of Jacob's Jacobin explains, if you compare the project price tag of Medicare for all against projected total health care spending in the United States, you see a net decrease of around $2 trillion over the decade. So, 
Of course, in promoting this conclusion, Sanders and his allies out the true aims of their proposal, the outright nationalization of the U.S. healthcare system. Exactly what I just said. While Sanders and others usually try to avoid being honest with this aim, others on the left are more transparent. This is why the description of Medicare for All is fundamentally dishonest. With Medicare, not only do you have an increased number of Americans opting for the privately managed Medicare Advantage programs, but you always have the option of seeking treatment outside of the Medicare program. This would not be true in the future envisioned by Bernie Sanders. And that is true. These retirees that are on Medicare, as it is right now, they have private plans to cover these little expenditures that they can't otherwise get on Medicare and to cover when there's doctors that won't accept Medicare. And there's also lots of doctors that don't even accept Medicare as it is. So when a doctor opts out, that makes, you know, that makes it impossible for you to get care in the first place. But um, anyway, that's, but what, that's not one of the things that Bernie Sanders talks about when he talks about Medicare for all, though he, he's a very dishonest and he's not transparent with his people of his, of the real intention, which is to get not just Medicare for all, but a complete takeover of the Medicare or the medical system. All right, moving on. Without this flexibility beyond government programs, we would see the same outcomes that have plunged countries like Canada and the UK, higher mortality rates and increased rationing of medical services. At the end of the day, the focus on comparing the dollar costs of medical care for all to the current medical system overlooks the reality that we are not comparing equal goods. Government-controlled health care will lead to more Americans dying from diseases than they do today because of that rationing that'll happen because of the politicking that'll go on in Congress over this issue. I could just imagine every single president forever will be running on more health care for you. Um, I will be the one that'll make the, make the hospitals better. I know that's like that because that's how it is over in England right now, over in the UK. There's, that's one of the main topics of every single election is their um, national health care system. So that'll be what's happened. Still, fur- So going on. Further still, the complete bureaucratization of health care has perverse effects on practice beyond the obvious examples such as wait times and supply restrictions. As Dr. Michael Assad has explained, the reliance of medical coding required for doctors to receive government payments necessarily moves the focus of healthcare away from the patients and towards paperwork. And I know that that's true because I, I, have, I know people that are in the medical industry and they say that just to, have, just to have their office open, they have to have multiple people that are doing the medical coding, which is the billing for Medicare and other types of paperwork that they need to get done to cut through the red tape in order for them to get paid. It's absolutely insane. You can't just have a doctor and a nurse and maybe the person at the front desk that, you know, takes you in. You can't just have those people working in a doctor's office anymore. You have to have 12, 13, 14 people behind the scenes. So it just makes it that much more bureaucracy within the healthcare industry which is terrible for the costs. And if you had Medicare for all, you're going to be running into the same issues 
and it says it takes the f- or moves the focus of healthcare away from patients and towards paperwork. In 1992, with the passage of Medicare fee schedule, use of this coding system became mandatory. From then on, clinical care would be spoken in a lingua franca of CPD, CPT, ICD, and E-M codes, and the term documentation would take on a bitter significance for doctors. Everything has to be documented, and I know that's true. I've seen that before. But translating the what, how, and why of local medicine into cryptic ciphers for remote bureaucrats does not make the business of healthcare any more intelligible to the central planner, regardless of whether the codes are transmitted by an archaic fax machine or digitized and made immediately accessible by means of mandatory electronic health records. Does that all sound like gobbledygook to you? Because it does to me, and that's exactly what doctors are dealing with. They don't come in and check your heartbeat, check your pulse, check your weight, and then look down your throat and say, ah, anymore. It's a, what code is this and what code is that? And let's figure out how to bill so that we could get some money because that's what's happening. And when you have the government between you and your doctor, it is not good for your health. Neither is it good for your grandmother's health or anybody else that's in your family who might have a medical condition that needs to be treated Medicare for all is a terrible idea, and that's that's just a fact. Um, it sounds good. It's a great thing to run on because people, when they're nervous, when they're scared, when they're unsure, and there's a confident politician that says that we can fix it, people tend to believe it because they've been taught all their entire life that the government can fix things, and that's the challenge that we have to get past, especially libertarians need to learn how to get this message out there in a concise understandable way that the government while there may be some good things that happen it can be done better in the private sector for a way less cost and it'll be more beneficial to to americans and everybody that's involved so moving moving on into the article i'm going to wrap it up So at the end of the day, while there is value in discussing some of the potential fiscal costs of socialized medicine in America, it is important to not overlook that we are not even talking about the same services. For all the many issues that exist today with American healthcare, all the direct result of government, at least there is freedom to explore options outside of the federal bureaucracy. By their own admission, this is precisely what the advocates of Medicare for All want to eliminate. They want to eliminate the freedom to opt outside of the federal bureaucracy. The only people in a Medicare for All system that will be able to opt out and have some choice in their health are going to be the rich people who can fly to wherever they want to to get their health care taken care of, just like they do in Canada, just like they do in most of these nationalized health care systems, is as if they cannot get seen in their country, they go overseas. Now, God forbid you get stuck in a hospital and they won't release you like that happened to children over in England. You always hear that story. Children over in England, their their parents want to take them to America to be treated by a doctor who says that they might have a way to help them and the government holds them hostage. And it's just, to me, that's a terrible thing. So, 
I just wanted to get those things out there to you all that, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be candidates that are going to have all kinds of promises out there. They're going to have all kinds of things that they're going to be running on. One of those things that the Democrats seem like they're going to be running on, and you probably hear some of these Green Party candidates, obviously probably some socialist candidates, they're going to be running on these platforms that are a little bit more extreme sometimes. But this extreme view of a Medicare for all has gotten into the public conscious now through the Bernie Sanders campaign. And now it's coming in where it's going to be an issue in the 2020 election. You're going to hear that on the debate stage this year or in 2020 next year. You're going to hear that on the debate stage that they that one of the candidates wants Medicare for all. And I guarantee you very few of them are going to stand up against this idea of Medicare for all because it's a popular idea right now. And it's one that's not going to work. You do not want to trust your government with your health care. You do not. That's not something that you're, that's definitely something that will come back and bite you because all it does is becomes a political issue for them to use against, against people, and that's wrong. They're going to be using the force of government to force you to use their medical system. They're going to not opt to pay for certain things. They're going to be willing to pay for a few things. But when you have a diagnosis that's called untreatable and you still want to be treated, you may not have that option. And that sounds like a dire circumstance. That's true. But you hear about it in some of these other countries. And that's just not something that I'm willing to, willing to risk, to be honest with you. That's my biggest challenge. So I just thought that was such an important issue. I know I haven't been very... Uh, or talking about specific issues for the last 15 episodes. I've tried to focus mostly on the candidates and a few other things, but this is a very heavy issue. And as I've looked into these candidates, I've just noticed that that was one of the trends is that a lot of them are talking about the Medicare for all thing. A lot of them are talking about single-payer health care. And I looked at the root of it, and it really strings back to it's been an idea for decades now, but now it's starting to gain popularity with Bernie Sanders and I just had to bring it up today. I was thinking about it all day today. And I just thought that it was really important that um, any of my listeners and future listeners know about that. You know, the Medicare for all thing is just a, it's, it's just something that as a libertarian, I would never support. But as a, just an American, I just feel like it's something that um, is going to be bad for our country. So anyway, please go ahead and rate Rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, tell your friends about it, um, and just come back and listen tomorrow because I really enjoy this and uh, and I look forward to uh, hearing some of your opinions on the show, whether it's good or bad. Um, send me some messages if you'd like and uh, keep keep your eyes on 2020 and keep your vision clear. <laughs>